All right, ladies, welcome. We're continuing our study of Sefer Tehillim. David HaMelech Alev HaShalom. These classes uh, are primarily for the Eiluni uh, Shema of the Tzadeket, Mrs. Lily Meddeb Alev HaShalom. Lily Lea Bat Virgine. It's dedicated by her son, Dr. Rafi Meddeb, Shmire Wa'el. <coughs> and we are uh, today in uh, chapter Samechtet Simantov, chapter 69 in the Tehillim, so we'll go through it. This is a, uh, a chapter that's not connected to anything necessarily in the Navi. However, it's referring to the Jewish people uh, during their tribulations in exile, which we'll see many correlations that we can relate to. David in this chapter refers to the Jewish people as Shoshanim. If you know what a Shoshana is, Shoshana is a rose. So over here it's the, the, the song of the roses. Why we compare to roses, that she says, Al Yisrael shehem kishoshana ben ha-hochim. Because if you know anything how the roses grow next to the thorns. She-ha-hochim menakevim otam. The thorns, they prick the rose and they cause it to become blemished. And therefore the Jewish people in Galut are like a thorn among, a, a rose amongst the thorns. The thorns referring to the goyim. Jewish people are beautiful, like a Shoshana, but they get abused by the thorns that are uh, on our sides throughout the long exile. So that's the introduction. We are called Shoshanim, although we're beautiful, but again, there is a, uh, a thorn on our side as a result of the exile. Hoshi'eni Elohim. So David Melech says, Hoshi'eni Elohim. Uh, God Bring me salvation. And this mashal, David Amelech is comparing the goyim in exile to turbulent water. And God forbid there's many ways that a person could uh, die in water. So one over here is, he says, Save me God, the water has risen until it has reached the level of pikuach nefesh, the turbulent waters of the goyim. Tabati biven mitzula ve'en ma'umad. If you know that sometimes by the, the, the water there's marshland, and if somebody stands on that ground, so it's like quicksand. Even sometimes in the water itself, in the ocean, there's certain spots that you can't get footing on it, and then once the person's feet get stuck, he just keeps on sinking. So David Abelich says, Tabati, I'm drowning biven mitzula. In the, uh, she says, Bibutz tit. Bibutz is the, is the, the mud. Shel mitzula, that's at the bottom of the water. Ven ma'omad. Ven ma'omad means there's no standing. You can't get a, a firm uh, stability. Bati bima'amake ma'im. Another example, he says, 
I came to the depths of the water. These are all examples how the Goim are uh, causing B'nai Israel death in the exile. V'shibolet shetafatni. Now, shibolet, if I'm not mistaken, is like, I guess what we would call today, uh, a riptide. That means uh, when the water is, is spinning, like a whirlpool. And even though the water is not deep, it doesn't look dangerous, but God forbid if somebody gets stuck in such a current, so the water takes the uh, person out to sea, and therefore, God forbid, he could drown. So the analogy over here would be that sometimes the waters do not look turbulent. Everything looks okay. You look at the water, it doesn't look dangerous. And all of a sudden, the person gets stuck in a, in a, 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 a whirlpool or a rip current, a tide, and he's taken away. So that's referring to, let's say, our time over here. Where, thank God in America, things are relatively calm. There's no goyim that are, you know, God forbid, killing anybody. However, we know that things can change in a moment. And therefore, even though things are calm, all of a sudden there could be a, a riptide and take the Jews. And we saw that, for example, uh, at the end of COVID. All of a sudden we felt very unsafe. Overnight, uh, things, nothing was the matter. Everything was fine. The world was quiet. Everybody was home. Nobody was doing anything. And all of a sudden, riots. And all of a sudden, we felt anti-Semitism. People felt unsafe in America. People were talking about the Mufti. It, it can happen in a very sudden way. And then you have the violent waters that David Amelik is talking about, which is, for example, in the times of the Shoah, the times of the Holocaust, where that was clear, where they were taking the Jews into concentration camps. So that was already, we were drowning in the, in the quicksand. So it's different, different forms and different times of Galut. And then he says that I'm calling out to you, God, Yagati. Yagati meaning I'm, I'm weary, I'm, I'm tired. Bekuri nihar gedoni that I have called out to you so many times that my throat has become nihar. Nihar is, as she says, yavish. His throat is dry from all the from all the prayers that he's making. Kalu enai miyachel lelohai. David Amelik says, I'm anticipating and waiting uh, with great hope that God will bring me uh, salvation. That's kalu uh, enai. She says, kol tochelet b'mushcha. Anytime you have a long anticipation, it's called kalu enai. It's called kalyon enai. Rabu misarot roshi. Now, he says that those that are attacking me, my enemies, my adversaries, they are greater than the hair on my head. That's a mashal. Somebody would say, you know, how many enemies do you have? Uh, I can't count them. As, many, as much hair as I have in my head. But the Ben Ishchai learns that this mashal is not uh, arbitrary. He learns that the mashal is actually, for a reason, the Mikubalim talk about the hair on the body. And they say that while the beard, the hair on one's face, is considered mercy. That's why the Mikubalim don't like to cut too much the hair on the face because it comes from the 13 points and the 13 points on the face represent the 13 midot of Rahamim and therefore anytime the hair comes from this area so it's considered mercy whereas the hair of the head 
is considered midat hadin. Those hairs come from a strict place of judgment. Mikubalim, when they take haircuts, and they take haircuts often because they don't like to keep their hair long, unless it's the Omer like now and other times, but otherwise they like to take haircuts because they don't want the judgments to be uh, too long. And they have kavana when they take a haircut, that when the barber is cutting, that they're cutting the dinim, they're cutting the, the judgments away. So therefore, since David Amalek is referring to his enemies, so he chooses a mashal that would refer to something that arouses judgment, and that's the hair on the head. So that's why he didn't say, you know, my enemies are as numerous as the hairs in my beard, because that would represent mercy. So therefore he says, Rabu misarot roshi, he refers to it as the hair on the head, which again arouses judgment. Sunai hinam, he says that, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything for them to hate me. Uh, the Goim don't need a reason to hate. They hate us because uh, that's built into their, into their, into their genes. Atzemu matzmitai, they are very strong. Those that want to destroy me, oyebai sheker. And it's oyebai sheker. They, they spread lies. And we know that. One of the main lies that the Goyim spread about the Jewish people throughout the generations was the blood libels. It's uh, They came along and they said that the Jews, before Pesach, they take uh, a Christian boy and they slaughter him because they need their blood in order to eat the, uh, to mix it up with the matzah. And uh, therefore, always before Pesach time in the old countries, whether it was in Europe, even in Syria, there was a famous blood libel the times of Achim Abraham Antebi, Shalom. And they came along and they said that we killed them and then they would make, that was just an excuse to kill Jews. Now, of course, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Our Torah uh, talks about uh, uh, how much it's a sin to murder anybody and how much it's a sin to eat blood. But that doesn't stop them from spreading these blood libels. Uh, and therefore, uh, the Pasuk says, Oyevai uh, sheker, my enemies spread lies. Asher lo gazalti as ashiv, and what I didn't steal, I have to return. Which means to say, the guim come along and say, you stole our asset, you stole our, you know, money. That's not true, but they uh, claim it against us, and then we have no choice but to pay it, even though we didn't steal it. So therefore they say, Ashelo gazalti, what I did not steal, as ashiv, but I still have to return it. So this is the, you know, the false, uh, falsehoods that they spread on us. Elohim, It admits that if we're suffering by the hands of the Goim, it has to be because of our sins. So David says, Elohim, God, you know the, Ivalti means the nonsense that I involve myself in. And in the Hebrew they would say, Shtuyot, that's Ivalti. Why does he refer to the sins as nonsense? As, you know, the ridiculous things that I do. Sin is called ridiculous because the Gemara says that a person will only come to sin if he has temporary insanity. The Gemara believes that anytime a person is committing a sin, he's insane at that point. And therefore, David Amalek is telling God, you know my insanity, you know my shtuyot, you know the fact that sometimes 
When a person sins, he loses his mind. Because otherwise, how could a person sin? If he knows uh, how, how Hashem told him he's not allowed to do something. So what, what can bring him? You have to say that he's uh, insane. So the rabbis ask a question. So then you have a, a good claim to exempt yourself. You can claim to God, temporary insanity, how could you punish me for my sins? That's the rabbis ask that question. If you're going to tell me that every time a person sinned, he's considered a shoteh, so then why can't we go to God at the time of judgment and say, what do you want from me? I'm a shoteh. God says, you're right, but we're not going to punish you for being a shoteh. We're punishing you for bringing the shtut upon yourself. Why did you bring yourself to become a shoteh? Which means if, if somebody is traveling 100 miles an hour on the parkway, and then God forbid, uh, you know, uh, he couldn't stop, and he, he killed somebody. So he comes to the court, and the judge says, what do you have to say for yourself? He says, my dear judge, you know that it's impossible to stop a car that's going 100 miles an hour? So he said, we know that. that. That's not the claim. The claim is, why were you going 100 miles an hour in the first place? Why did you put yourself in a position where you won't be able to stop? That's the claim. And the same thing is, why did you put yourself in a position to become a, a shoteh? And my sins from you is not hidden, but... Al yeboshu bi kovecha Adonai Elohim sevaot al yekalmu bi mevakshecha Elohe Yisrael. At this point, he says, Al yeboshu bi kovecha, which means you have a Jewish people that when they see that the religious people pray to God and they don't get answered, so it's going to cause them to become. Uh, hopeless and, and desperate. They say, if God doesn't answer the prayers of the tzaddikim, now even though the Vedim says, I know I have sins, but he still, please answer me so they don't become uh, depressed that they see that David is praying and he's not getting response. Don't let the kovecha, uh, those that anticipate and hope for you, they should not become embarrassed or shamed from me. When they see that I'm not going to get answered, that's what's going to cause them to Give up hope. They should not be shamed. Those that are that request you in the way Israel. So therefore, David Amalek is praying that even though he might not be worthy for his prayers to be answered, but do it for the sake of the people. So he says, why do they hate us? David Amalek is giving us a big lesson over here. The reason why they hate us partly is because of our God. They hate who we worship. They hate our service. They hate our mitzvot. They hate our Torah. So David Amalek says, Ki alecha nasati chirpa. The chirpa, the shame that we are uh, incurring is alecha, is because of you. Kiseta kelima fanai. And therefore our face is filled with, with shame. Then he says, Muzara yiti le'echai. Venukhri imi. Now what does this mean? Muzara yiti le'echai. Uzar, I was a stranger. Zan. I was a stranger to my brothers. And I'm a nukhri. And I'm a... Uh, nukhri is also a, a, you know, a stranger to the sons of my mother. Now, who is this talking about over here? Who is my brothers? It sounds like brothers that share the same father. And nukhri, I'm a stranger to b'nai'imi, to my uh, sibling that we share the same Mother. Now, we know in our history that we have two brothers. One brother, we share the same father, but we don't share the same mother. And who's that? 
Ishmael. Ishmael, we have the same father, Abraham, but we don't have the same mother. Ishmael comes from Hagar, and Yitzhak comes from Sarah. So that's what it means when it says, Muzar Haiti Le'echai. I am a stranger to my brother, meaning from my paternal brother. And what does it mean, Muzar? I'm strange. That even though we have something in common, what do we have in common with Ishmael? We both have circumcision. Even the Bnei Ishmael, they circumcise. But the circumcision of Ishmael is nothing like the circumcision of Bnei Israel, because they're missing a very integral procedure that's called Pidi'ah. Pidi'ah is that besides the actual cut in the Brit Milah, if you notice, after the Mohel cuts, he's still doing something under there for a couple of seconds. What is he doing? Not necessarily to go into the details of it, but it's called Pidi'ah. If a Jew does not go through that second procedure called Pidi'ah, where he has to tear the, the membrane and place it in a certain way, it's not considered a Brit Milah. Arabs don't do that. Arabs just do the, the cut. So therefore, it's a, it's a big difference. So therefore, we say Muzar. We, we look at them as uncircumcised. And then we say, We are different than the sibling from our mother. Now, who's our sibling from our mother? Esav. Because Esav, we share the same mother. Because both of them came from Le'ah. Oh, oh, Le'ah. Both of them came from Rivka. And therefore, she had twins. And therefore, they have no circumcision whatsoever. And therefore, to both of them, we have no, we have no connection. Even on our physical bodies, we are, we are different than them. I saw in the sefer that I have here, Be'ekveh HaKetuvim, he brings a nice remez. On this pasuk, Muzar Haiti. So he says, Muzar Haiti Le'echai V'Nochri. He says, if you take the uh, words, Lo Mahul, Lo Mahul means not circumcised. Lo Mahul, Lamed Aleph, Mem He Vav Lamed. Lo Mahul, it's Rashi Tevot. Muzar Haiti Le'echai V'Nochri Lebne Imi. So therefore, you have all the uh, all the words. Lo Mahul. Muzar Haiti Le'echai V'Nochri. That is spells Mahul, and Lo is Libnei uh, Mi. Very nice. Therefore, we are different than them, and that's again why they hate us. Kikinat betecha achalatni v'cherpot horfecha nafelu alai. Rashi says they're jealous of us, and when you talk about Kinat betecha achalatni, ra'u hachibash nahagta banu be'od betecha kayam. They saw the uh, favoritism that you showed us, or the love that you showed us when the Beit Hamikdash was was around, and they got jealous. That's one of the one of the main reasons why they resent the Jewish people. They're jealous. The Gemara says that one of the reasons why they call the mountain that we received the Torah Sinai, because Sinai comes from the word Sinah, because it was the mountain that brought hatred to us down to the world. When God chose us and gave us the law, so the Goim resented us because of that as well. So a lot of it comes from uh, jealousy. You know, brothers are jealous of each other. 
So the pasuk says, "Va'evke batzom nafshi." What does it mean over here? Va'evke batzom. I I fasted. I cried. I fasted in order to. But these are the fasts of Tisha B'av, Shavasa B'Tamuz. These are the fasts that we have during Galut in order to bring a redemption. And the Goyim laugh. When we fast, the Goyim make fun of us. The old timers, they used to wear sackcloth. The Gemara says, when they used to fast, under their clothes they would wear sackcloth. Why would they wear sackcloth? Because uh, they would say that we're like animals. Because the animals, they put sackcloth on the animals. And therefore, uh, they would say that we're not even, you know, worthy. So, And they would use us as a parable. They make jokes about the Jewish people. Uh, Those that sit at the gates of the city, and they have nothing to do all day long, they tell stories. Who do they tell stories about? The Jews. And we became the song of those that drink beer. Which means, David HaMelech says, go to the bar of the Goyim at night. What do you think they're talking about when they're getting drunk? They're talking about the Jews. Well, the workers that are in your house during the day, the plumber, the electrician, the repairman. What happens at 8 o'clock at night, even before? They go to the pub. And what do they do at the pub when they start drinking? They start speaking against the Jewish people. They start making fun of them. And therefore he says, I became the... Uh, uh, the, the, the brunt of the jokes of the goyim in their pubs. And the Mepharshim explained that um, in, the, in, in, in the Midrash, in Echa, the Petiha, says that the goyim make jokes. What's the oldest, uh, oldest thing in the world? The clothes of the Jew that he wears on Shabbat. Because in the olden days, the Jews were poor, so they would wear the same a special suit that they only wear on Shabbat. So the Gim would see every Shabbat that he was wearing the same, the same suit. They said, oh, how old is this, uh, this clothes over there? Or they would say that there was one, say, um, a camel that came and it was, 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 gonna, was starving. And they told the camel, why are you so hungry? Is that because these, these Jews over here, they keep Shemitah. They, they don't plow the, the land in the seventh year. And they eat all the grass for themselves like animals. And they don't leave any food for the animals. And they were, therefore, we're starving. And they, they make like plays, uh, like skits, uh, all these type of things just to make uh, the Jewish people look bad. So David Melech says, it's not enough that we're serving you, huh? but we're fasting and they make fun of us that we're fasting. We keep them in sport and they make fun. But I saw from the Hatam Sofer, he said, so why was David Melech, or from one of the rabbis, maybe it's not the Hatam Sofer, why was, the, why was David worried that they were making fun of him in the bars? Where would you rather be made fun of? In the yeshiva? I mean, why why does it matter where we were made fun of? So he said that, and the rim is, that if, let's say, there's a famous opinion of the Chovot HaLevavot that says that if you speak Lashonara about somebody, God forbid, so, or if somebody speaks about you, Lashonara, they take all your sins. That's a, that we believe that. It's the best doctor. If somebody speaks Lashonara about you, he cured you. He took all your sins, and therefore you're, you're absolved. So, 
But then you have to ask who's talking Lashon Arabah. You hope the guy who's talking is somebody that's a good guy because the Chavot Devot says, and you get all his mitzvot. So it's really a transfer. He takes all your sins and you get all the, his mitzvot. To me, that's probably the most, the, the biggest deterrent against talking Lashon Arabah. If I had to convince you not to talk Lashon Arabah, I wouldn't have too many things to say, but I think I could convince you by that. You work so hard for your mitzvot, is it worth it to make a, a statement, to give everything to that person? So you only benefited him. You're trying to hurt him by your words, which actually you benefited him by giving him your own mitzvot, and you took all his sins. So therefore, bad business. The return on Lashon Allah is terrible. So therefore, David HaMelech is saying, all right, they're talking Lashon Allah about me, but at least if they were Sadiqim that were talking about me, I would get all their mitzvot. But who's talking about me? The bums in the bar. So I don't even get anything for it. <laughs> They're talking about me and I get no, uh, no return on my uh, investment. Uh, I don't get anything uh, beneficial because I have nothing to, to give me. So that's why he gives the example that I was there. Uh, I was there joking. Now we get to one of the main pesukim of the panic. I know you know this pesuk. Okay, let's, let's, go, let's go slow. David HaMelech says, when they're making fun of me and laughing at me, what am I doing? Fa'ani, regarding me. Tefillati lecha Hashem. My prayer is to you. And when do I pray to you? Et ratzon. I pray to you at an et ratzon. Uh, et ratzon means a time of acceptance. Interesting. It seems that there's certain times that are more favorable for prayer. It's called et ratzon. Of course, God always is available to answer our prayers, but sometimes the reception is a little better. If you want to give it the mashal to the, you know, to the Wi-Fi, sometimes you get a few bars. The machine will work, but it's not so fast. But then you get good reception. So there's et ratzon. Elohim berov hastechan, God is... Uh, with great mercy, and at that time, Aneni, God answers us, Be'emet Yishrecha, and his salvation is emet, it is conclusive. Question then is, when is this moment of et ratzon? When, when does it happen? It's good to, to identify that moment, so we're praying at that time. So, I will tell you what I found in the, uh, in the Midrash. Midrash says the following. Let's see. Oh. So Midrash says that when the Jewish people go home after Musaf on Shabbat and they have a festive lunch, Shabbat, and they drink a little and they eat a good meal, and then many of them, they go to sleep. And then what happens? A few hours later, especially in the winter, it's not even a few hours later, Menha, they have to jump up, and they come back to the synagogue, and what do they do? They open the Sefer Torah, and they're going to read the Sefer. At that point, the Zorah Kadosh writes, that's Etratzon. Because God says, look at these people. Most people on their day off, they go and eat and they drink and they get drunk. And then what do they do? They go sleep the rest of the day. And if they don't go sleep, they just sit and uh, waste the time away 
And look at my Jewish children. After a festive meal and after drinking and after being, uh, you know, joyous and resting, they steal from their sleep and they get up and they run back to Bet especially in the freezing cold weather, in order to what? To read Sefer Torah. That's why, if you ever came to Shul, I know you did, in Minha of Shabbat, what do we say when we open the ark on Shabbat Minha? Okay, now you heard a, some song, a jingle. The point is, why do we call that Etratzon? Because God says, look at this. They're coming at this moment over here to take Sefer Torah. After, after a day of enjoyment, they didn't forget me. And therefore, that's a very opportune time to make tefillot. So, uh, if you can come back to the synagogue in Manhattan, time, if it's available, you're doing yourself a big favor. That's why we make prayers for the sick people at that time, and prayers for the people that need Yeshua'ot at that time. Uh, at that moment, you can make your tefillot, especially being that it's the end of Shabbat, and we learned that Shabbat actually progresses. So at the end of Shabbat, you're at the crescendo of the Shabbat. So the time is... Is, is good for two reasons. Number one, because it's the end of the Shabbat, which is ending off on a, on a high note, and it's etrazon for what we said. There's another time that's etrazon. Another time that's etrazon, it says that whenever you have 10 people in the Beit Knesset uh, that's praying with a minyam, what Olam says, that's also considered etrazon. I said it, that's also considered etrazon. The Hafez Chaim said, after you do a major mitzvah, that's etratzon. He said it in this context. If you look at the Birkat Amazon, which is one of the only blessings that are from the Torah, most of the blessings that we make are rabbinical. One of the berachot, maybe the only berachah that we make, that means when you say Shakol Yamid Baro, the rabbis instituted that. It's not from the Torah. Nowhere in the Torah does it say to say Shakol Yamid Baro and a cup of coffee. The rabbis instituted it. Okay, we do it. Nowhere in the Torah does it say when you eat a piece of uh, 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 a pretzel, the same Beruimine was not. So why do we do it? The rabbis said to do it. Okay, we love the rabbis. We listen to the rabbis. Nowhere in the Torah does it say after you drink a glass of water, to say Beruimine for Shot Rabbo Fahastrona. So why do we do it? The rabbis said. Every Berachah you're going to make, the morning blessings. When you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes. Who told us to make this? The rabbis. Nowhere in the Torah does it say to make such a Berachah. And every Berachah is like that. Even the Kiddush on Friday night, when you say Baruch Atah Hashem, Mekadesh Shabbat, it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah to make a Beracha like that. Havdalah, from the rabbis, all these Berachot are rabbinical, except for one. What's the only Beracha from the Torah? Berkat Amazon. By Berkat Amazon, what does it say? Ve'achalta, u'berachta. You should bless me. So therefore the Hafez Chaim said, when you say Birkat Abazon, oh, you just delivered a tremendous mitzvah, that's a big mitzvah, you have now activated Etratzon, a moment of mercy. And that's why at the end of Birkat Abazon, what do we do? Harahaman. We start praying to God all requests. All these blessings doesn't say anywhere in the Torah 
to say harachamans. It just says to make the blessings, the three blessings or the four blessings. Where all of a sudden do we start praying for random things? Says the Apet Sagos, after you did a mitzvah de oraita, you've opened the heavens. It's etratzon. Pray for anything you want. Therefore, the rabbis gave us these harachamans because it's a very, very opportune one. The gate is open, so you throw in all the requests before the gates close. And the mitzvah de oraita has an ability to open the gate. So anyway, David HaMelech is saying, answer my prayers uh, because I pray to you at Et Ratzon. Now, I once saw a beautiful mashal that was brought by the sefer called Chomat Anach, which is the Rav Chida. And he explains according to a mashal as follows. He said there was one time a king, and the king said, whoever comes to my palace today to celebrate in my inauguration, you could ask me for anything. You get one request. So everybody came and requested something. Finally, he's waiting for his friend. He didn't show up yet. He's the last guy in the line. He said, why are you all there? I don't want to interrupt. I know the king is busy with all these people over here. He said, okay, now that you're here, you get one request. What do you want to request? He says, dear king, my one request is that whenever I ask you for something, you should always answer me. <laughs> the king said, that's very clever. He said, okay, <laughs> you have it. Which means it's one request, but with that request he gets everything. So Rav says, that was David's request. He says like this. When is Et Ratzon? Simur mit Panelim. When the Simur is playing, it's considered Et Ratzon, like the Gemara Berachot, page 8 says. So he says... When you're praying at an etrat song with a minyan, what should you pray? That whatever I ask from you, you should answer me. It's amazing thing. That's what he's saying. During etrat song, that's what Hashem answers your prayers. So you say, Dear God, whatever I'm going to ask you, even... If it's not be'et ratzon, but now it is et ratzon. But whatever I'm going to ask you, even if that, answer me. So since you put the request in at et ratzon, even though you're going to request something later on that it's not et ratzon, it's already connected to the moment that you asked, and therefore you're going to get me. So therefore, va'ani tefillati lecha Hashem et ratzon. I pray to you when it's et ratzon. And what is my prayer to you? My prayer is Elohim berob hastecha aneni be'emet yishaycha. Just answer me. Answer me whenever I come to you. And therefore, it comes out that all of my prayers will be answered always. And that's a very, very good prayer to make. The next time you find yourself in a minyan, or of course in the ladies' section, and uh, you can make that prayer. But get it in at that moment over there. And therefore, even though you'll find yourself in the street one day, and you're going to need a Yeshua, and you're going to make a prayer to God, and you're going to get answered. And I say, wow, you're only one person in the street. How'd you get an answer? Oh, what do you mean? When I was with the minyan, I asked God to always answer my prayers when I call out to him. People don't think to pray like that. People usually think to pray for what they need. Right now I need shiduch, parnasah, herda. So they pray for those items. Why think small? The haidah says, think big. I want everything. And therefore, whenever I call out to you, I want to get an answered. Not only when it is etrasom. That is a 
Beautiful explanation. Now, I'll tell you something that I saw from Hatam Sofer. Actually, two selections from the Hatam Sofer. One selection is, did you ever hear the Gemara that says that if you need something, you pray for somebody else and you will get answered first. You'll get answered as well. Uh, it's a Gemara that says that. The Gemara says that, Kol hamit palel al havero, and it works. Uh, you pray for somebody else. You have, you have two mothers that have daughters that want to get married. This is a common uh, situation. So the mothers get together. Instead of fighting over the boy who's going to go out with what, what girl, they make a, a peace treaty. And they say, listen, you give me your daughter's name and I'll take your daughter's name. We switch names. And both mothers pray for the other daughter, which is Hadush. That doesn't mean she can't pray for her own daughter as well, but she prays for the other one. And all of a sudden you'll see what? Since they're praying for each other and they need that same item that they're praying for somebody else, they get answered first. I've seen it a hundred times. It works. Not for now to tell you the examples, but it works. I even saw a case that two mothers were praying. Their daughters had just got married and they prayed that they should conceive and have children. That's something proper. And they both prayed. Not only did they both conceive, they actually gave birth on the same day. What are the odds on that? Each one prayed for each other, both different were answered, and they gave birth on the same day to baby boys. So that's just a side point. But the point is, you see over here the concept. So now, listen to a beautiful explanation. This is Hatam Sofer. The tzaddikim, when they pray, a lot of times the tzaddikim, they don't pray for their own personal benefit. They pray for the shekhinah. What do I mean to say? The shekhinah, the divine presence, is in exile. God is in exile because there's no better mikdash. Now most people, that doesn't bother them. They want money. They want money, they want good things. They feel bad that God's in exile, but it doesn't bother them so much that they even think for a minute to pray for that. That Sadiq, that's all that consumes them. That they say, well, we know we need a lot of things, but we don't care about our stuff. We're praying for you. We're praying for your salvation. We're praying that the Shekhinah should be redeemed. Like the Zohar HaKadosh says, to lift the Shekhinah from its dust. What does it come out? That means we're praying for God. But you need also to be lifted because you have a lot of problems also. So the Atab Sofer says, look at this. If you pray for God, it's mitpalel al-havero. I'm not calling God your friend, but there's a pasuk that says, ve'abtal re'acha kamocha. And that she explains in Gemara Shabbat, re'acha can refer to God. So therefore, kola mitpalel al-havero. You're praying for the sake of God. You need the same thing. You need also to be lifted. You also have a lot of problems. You'll get answered as well. So therefore, direct your prayers to the Shekhinah and then you get everything. People say, well, you wasted it. Instead of praying for your personal needs, you prayed for God. What are you talking about? If I'm praying for God's needs, then I get everything back. Because the rule is, when you pray for somebody else and you need that same item, you will get answered. So therefore, David Melech was saying like this, 
Lecha Hashem. When I had a chance to pray, what was my prayer? I'm praying for your sake. I'm praying for your benefit, not for my benefit. And therefore, because of that, you will answer me and bring me redemption. Because when I had so when I had a chance to pray, I did not, I neglected my own needs. What was my prayer? I prayed it for your sake. For the Shekhinah to come out of Galut, for the Bet HaMikdash to be rebuilt, that your name should not be uh, desecrated amongst the nations of the world, that the people that are making Averot are causing great Chilul Hashem. We're worried about you, God. We don't care about ourselves. So what's the result? God will answer us and bring us salvation. So that's yet another beautiful, uh, beautiful interpretation. Okay, and now for those that come for a little... Uh, Esoteric stuff. We cannot leave you without saying something from the, you know, the Kabbalists. The Kabbalists talk about how important this pasuk is. So I'll teach you a simple. I take that back. I'll teach you an unsimple uh, kavana. It's not simple at all. The holy books tell us that one of the holiest sections in the Torah is the Ten Commandments. Now, you may ask, it's only 10 out of the 613. Why is it so important? As a matter of fact, Maimonides said, you shouldn't stand when they read the Ten Commandments from the Sefer Torah because then you're showing as if these Ten Commandments are more important than any other mitzvot. All the mitzvot are important. Why are you standing for these? And then the people can say, oh, these are the only ones that are real. Everything else is... So we have a problem because usually we send up the rabbi fast at the Birot. <laughs> so we have a, a catch-22. 20, catch so Rabbi Maxi says, when the rabbi goes up, you stand. And then after he makes the Benachai, you sit. So you stood for him when he went up to the Torah, this is when he made the blessing, and then after that you sit down, and then after you say, get up, so you're able to do the kavod, but at the same time, not to disrespect. Okay, that was, that's his opinion, that's what they do with Ketan. Anyway, Ketan, this is why I want to say Ketan. If you count the letters in the Ten Commandments, I counted them before I came, that's why I was a couple of minutes late. The letters in the, in the Aseret de Berot equal exactly 620 letters. Now, I know that number doesn't mean anything to you, but to the capitalists, it means a lot. Some say because there's 613 mitzvot from the Torah and seven mitzvot from the rabbis. So there's altogether 620 mitzvot. Each letter in the Ten Commandments represents another one of the mitzvot, 620. But Kabbalah writes that there's different levels. There's different levels that people, that we could reach. The highest level that a soul can reach is called Keter. What is Keter? The crown. The crown. And therefore, when a person keeps the 620 mitzvot, he keeps them diligently, he's able to reach a high level called the crown. He reaches the Keter. Keter Torah. Keter, incidentally, equals how much? Chav, Tafresh, 620. Keter equals 620. Following? 
And therefore, when we keep the Ten Commandments, which means the 620 letters corresponding to all the mitzvot, however, when somebody is in contempt of the mitzvot, he gets a punishment. What's the most severe punishment that the Torah has to offer? Somebody eats chametz on Pesach, what's the punishment? Hazaka Baruch, Hazaka Berucha, Karet, which is the same letters as Keter as well. <laughs> that's Karet, the Keter turns into Karet. It's also 600, but that's already a desecration. And therefore, the Rab says like this. There's certain names that Hashem has that we see in the Torah and anytime you see these names of Hashem in the pasuk or in a configuration, you know that it's tremendous mercy and tremendous etratzon and tremendous uh, ability for your prayers to be answered. And what are those? What are these names? So he says, "Va'ani Adonai Elohim Emet." If you take these words. Va'ani, Adonai, Elohim, Emet. Exactly like I just told you these words. The numerical value of all these words equals 620. Va'ani, Adonai, Elohim, Emet. Those four words. And therefore, anytime you have a pasuk that has all these four words in them, then already you're connecting to the highest level, to the Ten Commandments, the 620, to... So the Hatam Sufis says, that's why this Pasuk is so great. If you look at this Pasuk, he says, The main Tefillah of this Pasuk is, You're praying that the moment that I'm praying to should be Etratzon. And it should be a time of chesed. You should answer me in, in, in salvation. But he threw in these words because he knew that these words aroused the mercy. Also he threw in the word va'ani. He threw in Hashem. Elohim. He threw in Elohim. He's doing the word Emet. He says, David on purpose made sure to get these four words that equal Gematria Keter and stick it into, even though you don't need these words to be in the Tefillah. The main Tefillah, he says, is Tefillati Lecha Etrason Berov Hastecha Aneni Beishaycha. The main Tefillah is those eight words. My prayer is that it should be Etrason, it should be a time of Chesed, Aneni Beishaycha. However, he threw in Vani. He threw in Hashem, he threw in Elohim and Emet, because he knew when those words were in a pasuk, you connected the Keter, which is the Kranyu Rouse, tremendous mercy. So that's why I say again, these pasukim that we're reading in Tehillim have a lot of uh, uh, mysticism behind them. Who knew that these four words in that pasuk are already the whole key to arouse all the mercy that was brought down from the Ten Commandments and to connect to the Keter, which is the highest level of mercy, which is the highest madriga of of uh, benevolence and kindness. But already you see that Atam Sufi said that that is the Kavana. Now let's just read one more uh, uh, selection that I want to bring to your attention. David Amelech in 
Pasuk 21. He comes along and he says, Herpa Shaberalibi. is my. You ever see when somebody says they have a broken heart? This is what they get from Shaberalibi. My heart was broken from what? From shame. Va'anusha va'akabel lanud va'ayin. And he says, and I was uh, 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 anticipating and hoping, va'akabel and wishing lanud. Lanud is that maybe somebody will uh, uh, come and console me. Va'ayin, but nobody comes to console me. Ve'lam nahamim ve'lo matzati. And I haven't found anybody to give me nehama. David Amalek is specifically referring to a situation that took place where the Goyim shamed us and embarrassed us without any, with any mercy and we got no consolation. What is it referring to? So I found this in Yalkut Shimoni. Yes, it happened at the time in Yakut Shimoni in the book of Yeshaya, Perik Nun There was a certain shame that we got from the two nations, Amon and Moab. When? At Motza Kevan Shigarmu Avonot, when the Jewish people committed sins, Venichnesu Oibim Dirushalayim, and the enemies entered Jerusalem, Nichnesu Imahim Amonim Umoabim, the Bet Kotcha Kodashim. The enemies of Amun and Moab entered the Holy of Holies. And they took the cherubs. Remember the gold figurines that were in the Kodesh? They put it in like a, uh, I guess a wagon or a, a, a cage. And they were wheeling it throughout the streets of Jerusalem. What were they doing with it? Look at these Jews, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're telling us, don't do Abu Dazara, don't worship figurines. They're telling us not to worship idolatry. Look at these hypocrites. In their holy of holies, look what we found. Two gold figurines. The people of Moab said the Jews are like everybody else. They came on, they claim they're holier than thou, that they don't worship Abu Dazara. Of course, nobody sees what they're doing in the Holy of Holies. The Kohen Gadol goes on Yom Kippur. What is he doing in the Holy of Holies? He's worshiping Abu Dazara. He got these, he's bowing to these gold items. This Tabinah said he was brokenhearted because he knew that the Goyim are going to have this claim. God said, Shamati Herpat Moab. I heard the blasphemy that Moab is making, the Gidufe bene Amon, and therefore God swore, God vowed that he's going to destroy Moab. Like what? Like the city of Sedom. And what? Bene Edom is going to, Amon is going to be like the city of Amora, which is Sedom ve Amora. And therefore, the Pasuk says in Nehemiah, Anuchi, Anuchi, Menachemchem. God says, I will be your, your consolation. And therefore, we, we know there's obviously a difference between the. We didn't worship the Kiruvim. The Kiruvim actually 
were designed by God Himself. He told us to put the Kiruvim in the Beit HaMikdash, and that's where the Shekhinah rested, but we were worshipping the Shekhinah, not the, 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 the cherubs themselves. But again, the Goyim used that as a, uh, uh, another excuse in order to embarrass it. That's what David Amelik says over here. I was broken hearted from this. Finally, the Pasuk says in Chavgimal, uh, Let their tables be their stumbling block. Now what does that mean? Let their table be a stumbling block to them. This is referring to possibly, uh, do, you, do you know a case in history where a Se'uda on a table ended up becoming a stumbling block for the Guim? Yes, Megillat Esther. You remember when Queen Esther invited Haman to the table and he thought he was going to a cocktail party and sure enough, he was actually walking into a, a trap. And therefore the Mepharshim say, It's referring to that situation, that their table that they thought they were going to go get honor and glory ended up becoming a, a mouse trap. It ended up catching them. They should go blind. Their, their loins should become weak. God, you should pour your anger on them. And then, if you go to the end, uh, the Pasuk says, um, They should be erased from the book of life. I will praise you. V'titav Hashem is the final pasuk we'll read. And it should be good in front of you, God. My praises, mishor par, from even a shor par makrin mafris. What is this here? Mazim mishor par. David HaMelech is saying, God, accept my prayers. More than a shor par. Mazim shor par. So that she says, Who sure she kriv Adam Arishon? Oh, you familiar with this? Who was the first one to ever bring a sacrifice in the world? Adam Arishon. He brought an ox. This ox was born fully, fully developed. Which means the day the shore that. Let me give you a rule. When an ox is born, the day it's born, it's called a shor. After three years already, we call it a par. But the ox that was born in the beginning of creation, that day that it was born, it became already fully developed like a par. So they call it shor par. The day that it was born as a shor, it became a par. That's an important lesson to learn because there's a big question. When God created the world, did he create it underdeveloped or fully developed? And we believe that it was fully developed. Adam Rishon was not created a baby. I don't know how, how old Adam looked, but he was, he was born a full, fully developed. He was talking, he was standing, he was walking. The same thing, the trees. When Hashem created the first tree, it wasn't a sapling. He created a big tree with fruit on it already. The world was created already in a fully developed state. So therefore, when God created this short, it's called Shorpah. The day it was created, already it became a path. Now the question is, why did Adam have to bring a sacrifice? So it says, happened was, on Friday afternoon he ate from the tree. 
The day he was created. You believe it? The day that he was created, he made the sin. He didn't live only a few hours in Gan Eden and he ate from the tree. And God said, oh, on the day that you eat from the tree, you shall die. So what happened? He says, all of a sudden, the sun started to set and it started to get dark. Now, Adam never saw sunset before. And he never saw darkness. So when he saw the world go dark, he thought he was going to die. He said, this is it, the end is coming. He was born during daylight. So he never saw that there's going to be a sunset and never anticipated that the next morning the sun will rise again. He thought, that's it, the world's coming to an end. So he says, he was crying on that Shabbat, that he's going to die. All of a sudden, when it happened Shabbat morning, the sun rises. The, the sun rises. And oh, Adam Yishos said, ah, this is the way of the world. I thought it was getting dark because of me. That I destroyed the world that God created. But I see that this is the way the world works. And therefore he was so grateful that he wasn't going to die. I mean, the world wasn't going to be destroyed. So Motzei Shabbat, one of the first things he did was, he brought a, a short. He brought this short part and he brought it to God. As a short of of gratitude. They actually say, I mean, not that this means too much to us, but it says this was a very unique type of animal. It had one horn. I think they call that a, a unicorn. Exactly. It was a unicorn. It was normally the ox has two horns, but this one only had one. Because if you look at the uh, word, you see, ladies, I'll show you how to learn Gemara now. You see, you see Pasuk 32? You see it says makrin. Makrin means that it has a horn. But it's missing a yud, this word. So you could read it mikerin. Mikerin means one horn. And that's how the Gemara knows that it was a unicorn. In any event, David Amalek says, let my prayers that I'm making to you be out of gratitude that you're going to save my children from the exiles. Let it even be more accepted from the korban that Adam Arishon uh, uh, brought. That's, uh, that's what he means. Uh. And then, And then the Pasuk says, And then the Pasuk says, God will bring redemption to Zion, God willing. Pasuk He will rebuild the cities of Yehuda. We will sit there, we will inherit it. The children of your servant, which is David, will inherit the land. And those that love God's name and serve him, will dwell in it. Okay, that is our prayer that David and Melech's prayer should come true, that the exile should end with Hamim, and that Hashem will end up being the uh, inheritors of Sion, like the Pasuk says. The Zera of, uh, of, uh, of uh, David will benefit and enjoy it. Okay, we'll stop over here.